Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Welcome once again to Canadians and Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, President and Founder of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. If you go up onto our website, www.cotra.ca, you'll find all sorts of interesting little clips and tidbits that will take you back to yesteryear. And uh, there's even a calendar there. We have dealt with quiz shows here before. Uh, in fact, uh, we've had two full episodes of uh, Share the Wealth, one of Treasure Trails and one of Take a Chance. But there were more that were aired on the CBC years ago, and I do have some snippets of uh, other quiz shows that I thought we would share with you. The first is, it's called the International Quiz, and uh, it was between Canada and Australia. And the uh, clip that I have for you is from 1947. Good evening, Australia. Good evening, Canada. The Australian team will be questioned first and will come to the microphone in the following order. Mr. George Morris, a sign writer of Newport. Mr. Frank Wilkinson, an engineer of South Yarra. Mr. Herbert Buchanan, a public servant of Glen Iris. And Mr. G.N.B. Sim, an accountant of Albert Park. And now, here is the first member of the Australian team, Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris, in modern warfare... A particular type of mine is caused to explode underwater as a result of sound waves transmitted through the water. What are such mines called? Catholic mines. Quite correct, Mr. Morris. <laughs> Acoustic mines it is. And now competitor number two, Mr. Wilkinson. There's only one sword, you know, but you can have the umbrella. This is not what Hitler said to Mr. Neville Chamberlain. Who did say it, and to whom? Uh, could I have that uh, again, Mr. Pink? Yes, I'll repeat that for you, Mr. Wilkinson. There's only one sword, you know, but you can have the umbrella. This is not what Hitler said to Mr. Neville Chamberlain. Who did say it? And to whom? No, I'm afraid I don't know that one. Bad, bad luck, Mr. Wilkinson. Tweedledum to Tweedledee in Through the Looking Glass. Now, Mr. Buchanan, 
competitor three. What is the name of the small glass vessel which contains a hypodermic injection? Uh, what I call those um, um, ampoules. That's right, Mr. Buchanan. An ampoule it is, A-M-P-O-U-L-E. Competitor for Mr. Sim. Dunedin is the name of a large town in New Zealand. But it is also the poetical name of a Scottish city. Which one is it? Uh, Edinburgh, I think. Edinburgh's right, Mr. Sim. Now over to Canada, whose team will be asked the same four questions as the Australian team. Are you ready, Canada? Yes, Australia. Canada is ready, and our team will come to the microphone in the following order. Mr. McGeeky, a radio commentator of Toronto. Mrs. Prendergast, a housewife of Winnipeg. Mr. Nixon, an investment dealer of Montreal. And Mr. Plumtree, editor of Saturday Night of Toronto. Thank you, Canada. And now here is the first question to competitor number one. Mr. McGeeky. Mr. McGeeky, in modern warfare, a particular type of mine is caused to explode underwater as a result of sound waves transmitted through the water. What are such mines called? Lumpset mines. Sorry, Mr. McGeeky, that's bad luck. The correct answer is acoustic mines. A-C-O-U-S-T-I-C. Right. Mrs. Prendergast, there's only one sword, you know, but you can have the umbrella. This is not what Hitler said to Mr. Neville Chamberlain. Who did say it, and to whom? Sorry, I don't know. Bad luck, Mrs. Prendergast. Tweedledum to Tweedledee in Through the Looking Glass. Mr. Nixon, what is the name of the small glass vessel which contains a hypodermic injection? A syringe? No, not right. An ampoule, A-M-P-O-U-L-E. Mr. Plumtree. Yes? Dunedin is the name of a large town in New Zealand. But it is also the poetical name of a Scottish city. Which one is it? I'm afraid I don't know. Bad luck, Mr. Plumtree. Edinburgh is the correct answer to that question. And that ends round one of the Australia-Canada contest in the international quiz. I'll bet you anything you'd like to hear how it ended. Well, it's all up to competitor number four. If you can answer this question correctly, you will even the score. Mr. Plumtree? Yes? Can you define the modern meaning of the term popularism? P-O-P-L-A-R-I-S-M. It's nothing at all to do with poplar trees. 
Uh, I think it has to do with the um, affection of London in England. Uh, Poplar, uh, form of socialism. Uh, just a minute. Can you give us a little more on that? Well, as I say, it's a form of socialism, um, but I'm afraid I can't be more precise than that. Um, yes, sir. Time has expired. How very bad luck, Mr. Plumtree. It is the policy of giving generous, extremely generous, outdoor relief, as was practiced by the Board of Guardians at Poplar, England, from 1919 onward. That leaves the Canadian score at 12 against Australia's total of 13, which gives Australia... A one-point victory. The next clip is the Goodwill Quiz. And this is from 1949. Why shopping means making every dollar count. But when you spend a dollar at your good neighborhood Goodwill store, you'll be money in pocket. That's because each dollar cash purchase entitles you to a Goodwill entry blank, which may in turn be your passport to a big cash prize in this program. Patronize the Goodwill merchant in your community and ask for your Goodwill blank every time you spend a dollar in his store. Remember, watch for the Goodwill sign. That sign not only saves you money on the finest merchandise and service, but may win you a grand cash prize on the Goodwill quiz. But listen... All you need to do to enter this program is write your name on a firm piece of paper authorizing us to select a proxy contestant for you if you're not in the studio. Remember, it pays you 20 to 1 to use the Goodwill entry blanks, so get the Goodwill quiz habit first thing tomorrow morning. But here's a man who's getting to be a habit, your Goodwill quiz master, Don Locknane. Thank you, Harry, and a Goodwill evening to you all. First, here's the prize list for the night. Uh, that is, prize list for tonight, without the list. Uh, there's $200 in the Goodwill jackpot and our regular 10 questions at $30, making a grand total of $500 for those lucky people whose entry blanks are drawn. But on with the show. So, Harry, the first number, please. Our first number this evening is number 1840, 1840. And our first contestant this evening is a young lady. Your name, please? It's Madeline Meehan. Madeline, is it? Madeline Meehan. Are you from Halifax, oh, Madeline? Yes, yes. You are, eh? Well, Madeline, would you choose a Goodwill quiz entry blank from the barrel, please? And Madeline digs deep. And Madeline, I might say, has a very lovely... Is that pink? Yes, it is. Pink dress on this evening. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't exactly call you a redhead, but I'd say you're a very... Uh, oh, Titian, shall we say. And also very attractive. Well, Madeline, you are... Contesting for R.K. Neary, Box 346, Kentville, Nova Scotia. Will you run over and see Don, please? Hi, this evening, Madeline. I'm just fine. Oh, you get up nice and close here. I'm surprised that Harry didn't know about that pink dress, though. Harry knows quite a bit about things pink. Uh, <laughs> I won't qualify that anymore. But look, uh, how much do you know about music, Madeline? Oh, very little. Very little? Mm hmm. Oh, you look like the type of girl to me who'd know quite a lot about music, especially, um, well, let's say, uh, the uh, classics. I'm afraid not. You're afraid, afraid not. Do you dance much? A little. A little? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I could get Harry and you to do a dance on the stage. 
But I guess we won't. We've got a question here that has to do with music. Um, you probably know that most great composers are, are known by a particular type of music that they write. Uh, so uh, I want, to get, want you to tell me which of the great composers was known for his waltzes. Uh, Johann Strauss? Johann Strauss, absolutely correct. <laughs> here we have a great roll of bills here. Congratulations to you, Madeline. You've just earned $3. Wait till I count them out. Here's one, two, three. Thank you very much for being with us, and good night. $30 for R.K. Neary of Box 346, Kentville, Nova Scotia, who received her Goodwill quiz entry blank from Cahoon and Stedman of Kentville. Our next contestant is number 1846. Number 1846. <laughs> What's your name again? Fred Smith. Fred Smith. Awfully glad to have you on the program, Fred. Will you pick a Goodwill quiz entry blank from the barrel, please? And Fred goes way over there and down deep. Will you pass it right here, Fred? Thanks very much. Fred, you're contesting for Mrs. Esther Dubay of 13 Courtney Street, St. John, New Brunswick, who received her Goodwill quiz entry blank from Eastern Packers, Bayside Drive East, St. John. Ray, will you run over and see Don, please? Now, your last name was Smith. I got that. What was the rest of it? Fred Smith. Now, look, Fred. Uh, here. You climb up on there. That a boy. Now, you just talk right into that microphone there, eh? Yes. You're not afraid of it, are you? How old are you, Fred? Fifteen. Fifteen? Now, you're, you're, you're a big boy. Now, look, what do you do? You go to school, I suppose, do you? What grade are you in? Six. Grade six. You like going to school? No. Okay. Oh, certainly you like going to school. Now, look, uh, here's something that you possibly... Oh, look, he was trying to see the answer. Now, look, uh... You should be able to tell me the answer to this. Do you like airplanes? Yes. You like airplanes? You look at quite a few of them, I suppose, eh? Yes. And you notice what they're built like and all that type of thing? Have you ever seen a jet-propelled aircraft? No. You, you've never seen one, eh? Well, look, can you tell me, does a jet-propelled aircraft have propellers? Yes. What? A jet-propelled aircraft? I don't no. think... No. No, it doesn't have propellers. Now, I don't know. Do you think we should give him that question? Oh, you'll have to do better than that. You'll have to do better than that now. Now, look, I'll tell you, we'll ask him one more question, and, and if he can answer this one, well, then we'll give him the prize, all right? Okay, I think that's only fair that you should get another question, don't you, uh, uh, Fred? Now, look, say that right in the microphone so we can hear you, all right? Yes. Now, uh, well, here's your question, then. Uh, is there a fellow named Fred Smith in the audience tonight? Yes. Who is he? Me. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. You're three bucks. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Fred. Good night. <laughs> Next, from 1954, we have a quiz show called Hide and Seek. One of your compositions being played by the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, playing in an orchestra conducted by Leopold Stokowski, or helping Liberace with a piano duet. Well, I'd rather help George help Liberace carry his money to the bank. <laughs> well, wherever you'd like to be, drop us a line and let us know and see if our panel can find you playing Hide and Seek. The CBC presents the exciting new panel game Hide and Seek with Claire Wallace, Stan Francis, Sammy Sales, and our special guest, G. Ross Krillman, with our host, Bernard Collins. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, everyone. Welcome once again to our completely spontaneous and unrehearsed panel game, Hide and Seek. First, let me explain how we play Hide and Seek. The rules are very simple. 
Just drop us a line telling us where you'd most like to be found. If your letter is selected, you may appear on our show or a member of our studio audience will appear for you. The panel's job will be to find out where you want to be. Now you can be anywhere in the world and with anybody you wish. Our panel will take it from there and play hide-and-seek. By the way, whether our panel can guess where you want to be or not, you'll receive a generous prize. However, if the panel cannot find you, you'll receive a bonus prize. Well, now I see it's time to play hide-and-seek, but just before we start, I'd better remind those members of the panel that there'll be a definite time limit on the questioning of each guest. You'll get a one-minute warning from me at the appropriate time. And later in the program, we'll tell you folks listening how you can play hide-and-seek, which we're going to commence... Just as soon as Gary East, our first studio contestant, steps up to the microphone. Gary, welcome. (laughs) First, let me say, Gary, that you're representing Mr. G.F. Underwood of One Stairs Place, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Gary, what do you do for a living? I operate a duplicate machine for a large manufacturing firm. I see. Uh, You don't turn out uh, dollar bills at all, do you? No, just five (laughs) dollars. Oh, five dollars, not one (laughs) dollar. Gary East, is that E-A-S-T? Yes, sir. You ever get kidded about the fact that your last name is a direction? No, they just uh, call me East instead of East. Oh, I see. Well, see if we can rise to the occasion and play hide-and-seek. There's a man that's well-bred. <laughs> our good friend John Ray is out of that hidden microphone, and he's going to tell our radio audience where Mr. G.F. Underwood would like to be hiding. A uh, card is going to reveal that to our studio audience. So, John, if you're ready, let's hear this situation. Gary East, representing Mr. G.F. Underwood, would like to be found on a bicycle built for two. All right, we all know about the members of the panel, and we're going to start the questioning, uh, Gary, with uh, our good friend Stan Francis. Thank you very much, Bernard. Now, let us see. Uh, first of all, I'd like to find out if this situation is real or uh, it has it something fantastic about it. Oh, it's very real. It's a real, eh? A real yes, situation. Sir. Would it help if I located this geographically? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, um, uh, is Mr. Underwood, isn't it, of Halifax? That's right. Is Mr. Underwood alone? No. Is he with one other person? Yes. Is this person a relative? Not necessarily. Well, is this other person a, uh, a, a member of the art world? No. Um, Not necessarily. I think we'll give you a real broad answer there. I see. Um, and is, is Mr. Underwood enjoying himself? Very much. Uh, would money be involved in this? No. Mm-hmm. Is this taking place indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Uh, is it a place of amusement? Uh, so-so. Oh, so-so. <laughs> He's a tailor. <laughs> well, he might not be, but so it seems. I mean, I understand. Oh, <laughs> Not specifically a place of entertainment, Stan. All right. Has it uh, anything to do with sports? Uh, in a sense, wouldn't yeah, you say, Gary? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, something to do with uh, something to do with sports. Would he like to be participating mm-hmm. in a sport? Eh. That's right. Uh, would it help me to find out the sport? Yes. Uh, would it be a winter sport? No. Uh, then I presume it would be a summer sport. That's right. Uh, golf. Well, partly. Partly. Yeah. Pa- golf. No. Uh, partly. Football. Nope. Uh, peanuts, popcorn, <laughs> Jimmy I, I pass to Sam. All right, Sammy Sales. Yes, uh, it's a sport, definitely, or some variation of a sport. Is that right? That's, That's a right. good question. Uh, he's in the... Uh, it's not hockey? No. Football? Nope. Um... Peanuts, popcorn, chewing gum. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> Let's see, is this a... Uh, is this a team participation sport? Or an individual? Can any individual play this... Uh, 
Can I help you there, Gary? Inasmuch as Stan has already established that Mr. Underwood would be uh, participating with one other person... Oh, one other person. Let it, we will have to answer and say that inasmuch as two people might constitute a team, that this is a team sport. Oh, skating? Nope. Uh, oh, it's a uh, summer. Uh, roll, it could be roller skating. Uh, cycling. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Cycling. Mm-hmm. That's right. Bicycle. Uh, uh, tandem. Mm-hmm. With one other person, I presume, mm-hmm. on a bicycle built for two. That's it. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, that was very good sleuthing, uh, Stan and uh, Sam. I think you two acted as a very good team there. We're going to thank you, Gary East, for being our guest on Hide and Seek and so ably representing Mr. G.F. Underwood of One Stairs Place, Halifax, Nova Scotia. We didn't stump the panel, but we had a lot of fun with the situation. Thank you. Pardon me. Yes, sir. May I ask uh, Sam if he would care to come out and ride my tandem home with me? <laughs> well, Sam? I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make it a three-seater. You can be front man. <laughs> you could certainly be forgiven if you think that this next one is a little bit high, Raoul. It's from 1955, and it's called Now I Ask You. Now, the host is one of the panelists that we first heard on the international quiz. So, uh, Mr. McGeeky gets around. And um, I can also tell you that, uh, while I'm talking panelists, I can also tell you that the one of the panelists, Stan Francis, who was on Hide and Seek, was the host of Share the Wealth, at least in 1952 and 1953. Those are the two episodes of that game show, that quiz show that I have. So this one is uh, Now I Ask You, and the host, as you will soon hear, is Mr. McGeeky. And he'll introduce the rest. Well, gentlemen, now I ask you. This is another session of our CBC quiz in which editor Ralph Allen and writer James Bannerman test their knowledge with novelist Molly Callahan and his guest. Listeners whose questions are used on Now I Ask You Tonight are receiving a copy of The Four Winds by David Beatty, which is a March selection of the Literary Guild. And here now is our Master of Ceremonies, J.B. McGeeky of the Toronto Globe and Mail. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another quiz meeting, including our regulars of the panel, and as our guest of the evening, Mr. Mark Napier, advertising executive and chairman of the publicity committee for the exhibition of Dutch paintings, paintings of the Golden Age, now on show in Toronto. How is the attendance at the art gallery, Mr. Napier? Oh, it's very good, but there are probably still a great many people who want to see the pictures who haven't come. They have just a week left. Well, I urge anyone within, uh, within traveling distance to come and see them. A magnificent collection of masterpieces. Gentlemen, the first set of questions comes from Constance Ballard of Richelieu, Provence de Quebec. Quite often we start with a, with a word question. This time we start with a language question. Miss Ballard points out that besides English, Welsh and Gaelic, three other languages flourish in the British Isles. What are they and where are they spoken? Mr. Napier. Earth in Ireland... I think I'd have to give you a mark for that. Mr. Uh, Cimrian in Wales. Well, we've, we've got Wales. Uh, surely Cimrian is a, is a synonym for Welsh, which I mentioned. 
Now think of the think of the British Isles in the most all-inclusive sense. Think of some other islands, Mr. Napier. And of course, Norman French in the Channel Islands. Quite correct, yes. And there's another little island well, that no, has, sports <coughs> its own lingo. Marks, do, uh, Mark, do the uh, the Manx have a? I think so. They have a language as well as a cat. Yes. Quite correct, a language as well as a cat, sir. And finally, there's one on the mainland of which traces are still found, a very ancient tongue. Well, the, that would be, the traces would probably be found in Cornwall, Quite where correct. you get the, the, the same language as the Bretons. Cornish, yes. You get four out of three, gentlemen. <coughs> very good. A language question from Mary L. Woodman of Wolfville, Nova Scotia, for Mr. Allen, Mr. Benneman. What is a lingua franca? Mr. Benneman. It's a sort of uh, Russian salad. A mixed vegetable salad made up of little snatches out of all sorts of languages, chiefly English, French, and Spanish, that's spoken along the Mediterranean coast uh, on the African side. That is uh, rather a narrow definition, is it not? Uh, I, I know you're conveying the correct idea. Well, it's a, it's a language which is used by traders, by seamen, uh, I mean trading out of, out of odd ports. The expression lingua franca uh, doesn't describe only that language that you're speaking of, does it? Well, as far as I know, it does. Does well, it describe a sort of ad hoc language? Uh, that is, could there be a lingua franca in Asia, for example? I think so. I think so. Indeed there is, isn't there? As pidgin English? Precisely, precisely. Oh. And uh, isn't it uh, truly said that in India today, English is a lingua franca, with perhaps bits of Hindustani and so on? because uh, it's the language of communication between uh, parts of India that speak different uh, native tongues. Right? Mm. Do you agree with me? Yes, I well, do. We'll give you a mark in that case. <laughs> <laughs> now, <coughs> the second part, what's pidgin English? <coughs> I agree with you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, not in advance, please. I am... I want well, a mark. <laughs> I haven't expressed myself yet. Mr. Allen... Mr. Well, I, I'm afraid that you've covered most of the territory in the various answers to the last question. It, of course, is generally spoken in the South Seas or uh, off the coast of China. Uh, you, and there's uh, a combination you, of native dialects and English. Quite correct, but uh, do you know the origin of the, the word pigeon? I think I do. Mr. Benjamin? I think it is means business. It means business, yes, it yes. is. Yes. Well, I mean, literally, the word yeah. pigeon means... I have never been able to understand how, how, how anyone could possibly pronounce business. Uh, pigeon. Well, I have heard, I don't know if this is true, but I have heard that this was originally thought of by Chinese persons who traded with British people uh, yeah. and used desks which had pigeonholes in them, as they used to do in the old days. Oh, I see. I and see. They, they, they associated these pigeonholes with business. I wonder if you're making that up. No, no, I'm not. I have <laughs> anyway, had... <coughs> business, uh, business pronounced pigeon reminds me of that joke about cavalcade pronounced success. You know, I was puzzled the fellow so much. And finally, uh, what is a universal language? <coughs> Mr. Allen. You mean you, you want the name of a universal language? That would, be, that would count for a point, certainly, yes. Well, the only one that's been widely accepted or widely agreed on that I know of is Esperanto. Yes. Uh, Mr. Bannerman, do you know of another one? Yes, I do. My grandfather made me learn it. What's it called? Wallapuk. Wallapuk. Well, you're the first man I've met that speaks Wallapuk. I don't speak it. It's many years how ago. How do you say how do you do in Wallapuk? I have completely forgotten every I word think. of it except its name. And anyway, what is the general definition of such languages? I think it defines itself. Universal language is intended to be a language that can be spoken by anyone, whatever his mother tongue. And uh, generally speaking, it's synthetic, isn't it? It's made yes. of bits and pieces. 
Well, I hope it's I hope it's not successful. I like a little variety in language, don't you? And I don't think it's a cause of war. Uh, there are differences in language. Well, I give you three marks. Very good. Uh, Mr. Mr. Jean Moho of Kelwood, or it may be Jean Moho, I'm sorry, of Kelwood, Manitoba, asks uh, Mr. Napier and Mr. Callahan, where would you read about places called Grover's Corner, New Hampshire, La Puta, and Auburn? Uh, how well, about the other two, La Puta and La Puta, L-A-P-U-T-A? Oh, that's one of Dean Swift's imaginary places. In what book? That is, well, in one of the Gulliver books, but... Sydney is uh, guys, one of one the... One of the Gulliver stories, but one I of can't the quite remember who lived there. Well, obviously the Laputans, uh, <laughs> But there's, uh, there's something specially amusing about Laputa. Um, anybody remember what sort of place Laputa was, Mr. Bannerman? I think, I don't think Lilliputians lived in Laputa. No, they lived in Lilliput. Quite. Laputa, I think, was a large sort of island suspended in space, I think, by magnetic attraction of some larger body. You are quite correct, sir. And the inhabitants discussed very curious projects. They were philosophically minded, not at all down to earth. And what sort of thing do they discuss? That's the fun of, of the chapter on the pewter. Whether they're the magnet there. was going to hold out. Not quite, no. They're up in the <laughs> air, you see. They're off the earth. Their heads are in the clouds, so to speak. The other fellows who first discussed the extraction of sunbeams from cucumbers... <laughs> they had another plan for softening marble to make pillows. Yeah. Well, we get a, you get a mark for Laputa. What about Auburn? Sweet Auburn, loveliest village of the plain. Yes, where do you read about that? Well, in Goldsmith. Yes, in the name of the poem, sir. Well, I guess it would be the deserted village. You're quite correct. What well, am I not doing well today? <laughs> doing very well indeed, but I had to wring that out of you. Desperately <laughs> difficult extraction, that was. Uh, Grover's Corner, New Hampshire. Well, Grover's gentlemen. Corner was obviously uh, out of New England, uh, New England literature of some kind. Not uh, exactly, no, no, sir. It's uh, uh, it's Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Ooh, <clears throat> Our Town in that play is Grover's Corner, New Hampshire, and an, an imaginary town, I believe, like Laputa and Auburn. Two out of three. Now, as I introduce this next and final quiz show snippet to you, I'm going to hazard a guess that you might actually know this person who hosts the show. He was the puppeteer behind Rusty the Rooster and Jerome the Giraffe on The Friendly Giant, which was a CBC TV series. He was also one of the people uh, that co-hosted the Rod and Charles show on CBC Radio during 1963. And yes, he is Rod Conybear. So this is a show that was called Yes, You're Wrong. And the more wrong you were, the more fun it was. So here, from November of 1976, is Yes, You're Wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, for the next 30 minutes, Yes, You're Wrong. To introduce the panelists, your host, Rod Conybeare. 
There is no more fun than cueing your own applause, which is what I just did. This is another edition of Yes, You're Wrong, a quiz program in which our paradoxical panel strives to prove their worth in your ears of all the people out there listening and all the people in our real live studio audience. And you are live, aren't you? This is live radio, friends. And God bless it. And we're going to bring it back. Uh, let's meet our first team. We have two teams of three, and our first team we call Carol Camiso's team because Carol is the lady on it, and it consists of three people. And Carol, how did it feel to be Queen of Canada? She was Miss Canada in 1971. Felt fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Still feels fine. Yeah. Ted Roberts is, is uh, right beside her there, and he's a musician, guitarist, songwriter, arranger, and, Ted, did you have any difficulty in arranging uh, to get here today? <laughs> Pretty funny. Oh, I'm at a loss for an answer. Right? I don't blame you, Ted. <laughs> David Scott Atkinson. David's a sometimes columnist, a publicist, a public relations executive. David, what is a public relations executive? You read so beautifully, you know. You should really be with the CBC. I think it's a great opportunity for you if appearance wasn't so important. <laughs> David, seriously, obviously appearance isn't important in public relations. No, it's the superb intellect and mind and flashing genius behind it that's able to analyze problems effectively. Well, after that exercise in self-effacement from David Scott Atkinson, <laughs> we'll go to DuBerry Campos' team. DuBerry writes, reads. What have you been doing lately, DuBerry? Reading, rotting. <laughs> no arithmetic, though. <laughs> and next to her is Kildare Dobbs. He's the noted essayist. Kildare, I'd like to ask you, winning the Governor General's Award, would that mean you'd sell more books or less books afterwards? No, but what it does mean is that your brother writers envy you, and that's better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> Murray Supkoff is the third member of DeBerry Campos' panel. I did want to pass on an anecdote... Uh, our whole family listened, and our Cocker Spaniel has fallen in love with David Scott Atkinson. <laughs> My cow is in love with you, too. Mm -hmm. So, in medieval times, the Roman Church appointed patron saints to the leading countries of Christendom. For one point, name the saint that applies to each of the following countries. David Scott Atkinson, the patron saint of Scotland. St. Pancras. <laughs> St. George for England, St. Pancras for Scotland. Absolutely wrong. St. Andrew is the patron saint of Scotland. Carol, the patron saint of Italy. The patron saint of Italy. Land of love, hot-blooded Latin lovers. St. Yeah. Valentine. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I'm going to give her an extra tenth of a point. For Thank that. you. I what have no idea. I'm it's sorry. wrong. I know you don't. It's St. Anthony. Ted, the patron saint of Wales. Jonah or Pinocchio? <laughs> One more chance, Wales. Ted. Wales. One more chance. What I know of Welsh names, I think even if I knew it, I couldn't say it. But it suddenly comes to me that it could be St. David. You're right. <laughs> Dewberry, patron saint of England. St. George. That is correct. <laughs> Murray, patron saint of France. Canadian Air Traffic Controllers Union. 
give that man a tenth of a point for that answer. Patron saint of French, Trudeau and his cabinet. <laughs> I don't know the answer. You don't know. Saint Denis. Oh, yes. Saint Denis. Kildare Dobbs, the patron saint of Spain. Santiago. <laughs> there would be several. Santo Domingo, Santo Tomas. Santa Claus. <laughs> the patron saint of Spain is Saint James. Well, that's Santiago. Michael, the old Englishman. I'm sorry, that's Saint James. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It says turn over at the bottom of that page. <laughs> it says Saint James. Uh, the Carol's panel identify the following queens for one point each. What city is known as the Queen of the Adriatic? Between Italy and Yugoslavia, isn't it? Venice? Yes. Woo! That's nearest for Venice. Ted, what's a queen post? This is the sort of thing that happens quite often when you're on vacation and you've just written a letter home and you find you have to hurry to catch your bus. And so just as you're running to catch your bus, you bump into the Queen of England and you say, listen, I'm in a hurry. Could you mail this for me? And that's called a queen post. <laughs> In carpentry, Ted, it's either of a pair of two vertical posts set between the rafters and the base, or, or the tie beam of a truss at equal distance from the apex. Then we're going to the next team. Duberry Campo, Queen Anne's Lace. Queen it's Anne's it's lace. Uh, a very common wildflower that grows usually along roads. Why it is around roads, I don't know, except I never go up into the fields to see if it's there, too. But um, <laughs> it has kind of a flat top with a lot of Little tiny flowers on it. I think that's a pretty damn good description of Queen Anne's Lake and Dewberry Camp Hall. Yes, sir. Kildare Dobbs, who is Queen Mab? She's Queen of the Fairies. <laughs> See, I knew I knew we'd all be silly about this question. Quite right, a She's in a poem, uh, I think Spencer wrote about it. In English folklore, she's a fairy queen who governs people's dreams. Quite right. And Carol's team. We'd like to analyze this song by Neil Diamond in an effort to extract its full meaning. So listen closely, and then we'll test you to see how much you got out of it. A song by Neil Diamond. She was morning, and I was nighttime. I one day woke up to find her lying beside my bed. Come take me For I've been lonely In need of someone As though I've done someone wrong Somewhere But I don't know where I don't know where At the beginning, what does the eye of the song call himself? The night. That's close enough. Calls himself night time. Oh. That's close enough. Right. When he one day woke up, where was morning lying? Beside his bed. 
That's right. What did Nighttime softly say? Come take me. That's right. What didn't Nighttime know come lately? How he had done anybody wrong. He didn't it's know. A paraphrase. He, yeah, he didn't know if he'd done <laughs> someone wrong somewhere. Well, that's pretty damn good. I think he did. <laughs> That was quite fabulous. Let's see if DuBerry's team can duplicate that remarkable feat. Listen to the following list of names sung by Neil Diamond. And then, that's the only one we could afford tonight. Be prepared to answer four questions concerning them. Jesus Christ, Anna Price, Mozart, God, Genghis Khan, to <laughs> Name a woman mentioned in the list of names. Very was... right. You're right. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> Name the assassin. There was an assassin named. John Wilkes Booth. That's right. <laughs> Name the man who was convicted of murder and electrocuted. <laughs> Gunga Din. <laughs> he was no. a better man than I was. Yeah, what, oh, Carol Chessman. I thought that was a woman. No. Isn't she a blonde no. singer? Let me tell you. She I'm... was 13 years on death row pretending to be a man. Who <laughs> <laughs> you thought Carol Chessman was a woman, and you'll never guess who I thought was the patron saint of Spain. But anyhow, that makes us even. Name the leader of an emerging African nation Patrice Lumumba? That's right. That's, you got them all. You got them all. I say, friends. Well, look at that. We've just about used up all our time, and we haven't managed to get to our Canadians Abroad segment. So we'll make up for it next time by devoting the whole hour to a Canadian that traveled abroad. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again very soon. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour... Be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. 
This is Devin Wilkins speaking.